AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, you beautiful podcast humans who are listening to this show about independent music, whether it's punk or hardcore or indie rock or emo or metal, whatever you want to call it. Small, sweaty rooms, people with guitars, maybe sometimes playing it very loud, maybe sometimes with drums, different variations. Or these are people who are documenting it in some capacity. Because that's essentially what I am doing here. This is an audio zine for those of you that are uh, of, of zine orientation. But anyways, I have a great episode today with Ryan Hoffman from, in my mind, the legendary hardcore band Chain of Strength. And he also runs an incredible record label called Quiet Panic Records. For those of you that are, are deep Chain of Strength heads, realize that that is a Chain of Strength lyric, this quiet panic. Yeah, that I feel. I'm just going to stop there because otherwise I would sing the whole Chain of Strength record to you and no one needs that. But Quiet Panic Records, home of Slow Crush, which is one of my favorite newer bands, that whole shoegaze vibe. They also put out records from Spiral Heads, Tennis System, Filth is Eternal. Go visit quietpanic.net to find out more info. But I put Ryan through the ringer in a positive way of just talking to him about his time within punk and hardcore, why he still stays connected to it, his time in the chain of strength. It is very, very fun. So first of all, you can leave this show a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can drop a star review on Spotify. You can also email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I've been getting some correspondence recently from all of you kind people, and I do appreciate that. And if you hear a little noise in the background, that's my, that's my dog. She's chewing a chew toy because, you know, no better time to do that than the present of me recording. But anyways, those are the things that you can do as favors for me. Also, support the sponsors in this show. If you hear me voicing an ad, that means I have personally endorsed this thing. And that is what makes this podcast kind of go around as far as a monetary thing. So I would appreciate the support there as well. And if you, of course, have any ideas, you can email me as well. Like I said, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I always love to have that correspondence. But let's go. Let's talk to Ryan about his record label, his time to chain of strength, and so much more. Because we're approaching the 500th episode soon. And I can't wait to tell you who's on that episode. But let's talk to Ryan. Here we go. I think, and I'm sure that you can not only agree with this, but understand where I'm coming from. You know, I definitely think Chain of Strength was and still is very much a a starter kit hardcore band. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. It's just kind of like, here's the first like 10 records you get when you start to get into like, you know, hardcore and more specifically straight edge hardcore. Um, And I'm sure like upon all of the different iterations and generations that have 
got into hardcore since you guys were an active band, I'm sure it's just endlessly entertaining for you to kind of see that wave of, you know, interest. And then, you know, maybe a couple of years, people, you know, don't mention the name as much as they, they did the previous couple of years. Um, do you kind of watch that ebb and flow? I mean, not watch as in like, you're tracking it like, oh man, let's trade the chain of strength stock. It's up. Um, yeah. <laughs> but just that idea of like watching that kind of, you know, uh, filter through the scene as it were. Uh, you know, a, a little bit. I'm not, yeah, I'm not really following it. I just, I find it um, interesting at times where I, you know, I see there's a lot of bands that have chain in the name, you know, so um, that's, it's just, it's exciting. And uh, also, you know, the bands that have strength in the name, I mean, I I, I don't think they're all just targeted at chain of strength, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's nice. I feel like we have influenced, you know, a, a lot of, people all over the world and that's exciting you know i think it's great and it's shocking as well i you know i'm always baffled you know like you know someone's always sending me you know like a a restaurant or you know just different things that have you know our logo or you know it's just it's really cool it's really cool how it's transcended you know through uh different genres and different things it's it's just cool Sure. And I, I, and I think partially why I would kind of put myself in your shoes and think that it is interesting is just because all of these unlikely places in which not only the band name, but, you know, true till death and just that whole notion that exists fall into places that you're just like, wait, what the hell? Like you said, like restaurants or whatever people just, (laughs) you know, like really dialing in on the aesthetic that, you know, you guys were doing, which, obviously at the time you were just like children and had no concept of a quote unquote legacy. Cause no one did at that time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We, we just, you know, just put our best foot forward. And again, we were influenced by so many different things ourselves and, you know, uh, our logo looks a lot like bold, you know, it's just, you know, I just think our, you know, I think it was our drummer, Chris, as well. Like he was really into aesthetics and, you know, using a color and everything. He was really just into branding, like super early on where I didn't care. I just, you know, I was just like, you know, give me the guitar. I want to play. You know, I just want to go and travel and meet people. And that's what excited me. But he was really more into the sort of branding aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you always are going to have that one or two you know, one person, two people in the band that uh, are interested in either the business aspect or the design aspect. And it's just always an added bonus when you have that person in a band because you're like, oh, they're somewhat good at that. Like, I can't, I don't even know how to like cut and paste a thing together, like let alone design a record layout. Yeah, yeah, completely. It's it's nice to have somebody that has that vision. You know, I, I, you know, I think, we all, that was the cool thing about the band. We all added our little, you know, vision into the band and uh, it's helpful. Like you, you had mentioned, you know, when you have these people that have this vision and can add that, it just, you know, just really helps, helps the momentum of the band. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, and we'll take a little bit more into, you know, chain as the conversation goes on, but I wanted to focus specifically on you. Um, were you actually born and raised in Orange County? I, was, you know, trying to do some of my, uh, you know, sleuthing, my internet sleuthing on you. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know enough about Ryan to know if he was actually, you know, coming up in the, uh, the Orange County, as it were. No, actually, um, I was uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, in New York. And then uh, my parents uh, moved out to Long Island. And uh, but pretty early on, um, my dad was transferred to California. Uh, so we, we moved, we moved here, you know, I was pretty young. So, uh, so I spent most of my life in Southern California. Got it. What's uh, what sort of job was your uh, dad in that he got he, transferred out here? Yeah, he was in sales and, and, uh, he was just looking, you know, I think he was looking to, you know, just branch out and get away from, you know, all the family drama <laughs> and, uh, he was just ready for, you know, something new. And uh, I know my mom had a, a more difficult time um, leaving her family and friends. And that's that's a tough thing to do. So uh, but he, um, you know, packed everything up and we drove out here. And uh, yeah, it's it was it was for the best. I, I, I think I I really loved just uh, growing up in Southern California. It was awesome. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I can imagine too, like you said, from your dad wanting to have a change of pace and a whole different perspective, moving literally the exact opposite across the country. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's no, there's no more drastic change than that. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I just think he was ready for change. Just, you know, uh, get away from some nuts, some shady individuals. Like it was kind of like, you know, let's, let's start over. Let's start fresh. You know, he, he (laughs) tended to do that quite a bit. (laughs) Got got it. And uh, how, how old were you when you moved out here? Oh, wow. I must've been six, seven years old. Okay. Yeah. I was pretty young. Got it. Got it. So you don't have like these long lasting memories of, I mean, I'm sure you have fleeting memories of New York and yeah. that general area. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just fleeting memories. And uh, they were, you know, you know, great fond memories, but yeah, uh, most of my, you know, formative years was uh, in Southern California. Got it. Got it. And where specifically in SoCal did you guys end up? Was it Orange County or was it somewhere else? We were, yeah, in, in Orange County. We started in Buena Park. I remember living right by Knott's Berry Farm, which was cool, <laughs> you know. Uh, but then we moved to the city of Orange, and that's where I, you know, started going to school and, and Little League, playing Little League and all that kind of stuff was in the city of Orange. Got it. And what was the rest of the family structure like? Like, obviously, mom and dad in the house, but do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have one brother. Um, so yeah, it was pretty just your normal, typical kind of blue collar family, uh, nothing extravagant, just, but we, you know, had a great time. It was, you know, wonderful childhood, but, um, you know, just living in the suburbs, enjoying the nice weather, swimming in people's pools, you know? Sure. Yeah. It was, it was great. The, and are you the oldest of the two? Youngest. Okay, got it. So you were the baby that got away with everything. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I. It's funny because I always joke about those stereotypes with brothers and sisters, but uh, for most of the time, like people agree, they're just like, "Oh yeah, I was the first one, and I got completely, you know, like overwatched by my parents." Or then there was the other one where it was like, "Oh yeah, like they just kind of let me do whatever." Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think you know, it, it's like the older child, sort of like you know, puts them through everything and, uh, and then they kind of ease up on the second child. So yeah, it, right. Life was pretty good for me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You're like, thanks bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so I, as you started to, you know, go to school and start to experience a little bit more outside the house, you know, what kind of kid did you find yourself being? Like you said, you were, you know, doing little league and stuff like that, but you know, were you outgoing? Were you attracted to, you know, arts? Like where was your head at? Yeah, I was um, super outgoing. I've always been sort of super chatty and into, you know, I always loved having a lot of friends, uh, being surrounded by a lot of people. Um, So that was more my personality, outgoing. Yeah. Got it. And uh, did you care about school as you started to, you know, go into high school and stuff like that? Um, you know, uh, I, no, (laughs) I, 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 uh, you know, I found, um, you know, just skateboarding and music and, you know, I just, I was not a great student because I was distracted. Got it. You were, uh, not that interested in what was happening inside the classroom right in front of you. (laughs) Exactly. I was, I was, yeah, busy, you know, writing songs in my head and, you know, drumming on the desks, driving everyone crazy. Yeah. Right. That was me. (laughs) Got it. So you were kind of the, uh, you know, and I don't mean this in a bad way, you were kind of the spaz of the class. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Okay, cool. Um, and I, I know that just in previous interviews you mentioned, and most people of your generation and, you know, even generations that followed got into, you know, punk and hardcore and more independent trains of thought via skateboarding um, was, uh, you know, even though you were, um, you know, second on the scene in regards to, you know, your brother was, uh, was he getting into that at all? Or where were you getting, getting, I guess, introduced to sort of skate culture? Yeah, I think um, it was from uh, friends from Little League. I, I really, you know, that and who I'm super close with 
to this day, we're family friends. Um, we've been through a ton of things together. Um, this kid, Craig Richenberg and his brother, he had an older brother, Scott Richenberg. And yeah, they, um, they got both myself and my brother into skateboarding. Um, and that's, yeah, that's totally where, you know, we learned about punk and everything. Um, but more so like I, I, I got way more into it than my brother. He sort of went a different direction and he was more into sports and, uh, school. And, um, yeah, I got, I got super lost when I, you know, when I, you know, learned about, you know, just skateboarding and just, it was just like perfect timing, just everything, you know, the age I was like 12 years old. And, uh, you know, I just learned about, um, you know, skateboarding there turned out, it, it just turned out there, there was like this amazing, like uh contest at the skate park. And it was just amazing. You know, it was just like skateboarders and, and just everyone's dressed so cool and the music and everything. It was just, it was amazing. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I, I was, I was in, you know, it just turns out also, um, I was, it was, it was at a skate park in orange called, uh, the big O, uh, skate park. Um, and the, and the, it was the gold cup series where there was just like these amazing skateboarders and everything. And then, and then, uh, it turned out like the next day, um, you know, we got word that, you know, there's going to be this band that's going to be recording a music video. And, uh, we were just like, what? And then I was, you know, tell my parents, Hey, you know, can you take us to this? And they're like, okay. You know, and it turns out it was Devo was recording, uh, their music video inside the, the, the pool where the, where the skaters were skating. And then, you know, they picked out a few skaters, top skaters, and they were skating also while the band was playing. Uh, and you know, so it was just like, wow, that hit me at 12 years old. And, uh, I was just like, this is amazing. I want to be in this scene. Right. Yeah. That's really cool to have that tangible experience that happened right in front of you with this band that, you know, was clearly larger than life because they were wearing all these amazing costumes and stuff like that. So that's just really cool. Yeah. It was, it was super special. I was so lucky. Yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, so many people gravitate towards, you know, skate culture and um, those experiences within, you know, punk and hardcore. But, you know, I would be remiss if not highlighting the fact that it's just like so much of that came out from Southern California and emanated worldwide. And it, like to have that experience, like you were talking about in your backyard is so, um, you know, even if you were experiencing it in different parts of the country, there was something that just hit different with being located in SoCal. Yeah, I, I, you know, I couldn't speak for anywhere else in the U.S., but, but yeah, uh, it was amazing for me. Um, just it was just like perfect timing. There was, you know, punk was just exploding, um, and uh, you know, I got to really watch it. I was I was really young, so I couldn't really be a part of it. Um, but just as a bystander, oh, there was so much going on in skating and in music at that time. It was explosive. It was so cool. Yeah. And also I'm sure with your age, like you weren't understanding so much of probably what was being put in front of you in regards to like, you know, scenes and how different bands sounded. You were just like drinking it all up and being excited about it. Yeah, totally. Um, and then I, it's funny. I thought at, you know, I can totally remember like buying, you know, then I got into like buying records and everything and I thought they would all be awesome. You know, I just, and it was so funny. Uh, I was pretty young and I, I saw this, you know, this kid in this record store, um, called licorice pizza. And, you know, he bought, he was buying the talking heads record and, um, I just said, Oh, he looks cool. He, you know, had, you know, whatever spiky hair and everything. And I thought, you know, oh, you know, because I was into, you know, the adolescence, Black Flag, you know, and then so I thought, oh, if he's buying it, I'm buying it. And then I took it home and I was like, oh, whoa, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's this... real. It, it, it's funny. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because it doesn't. <laughs> You just assume yeah. you're a child. You're like, yeah. everything must be good. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay. I have to discern between good and bad, whatever that means. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It just, yeah, it wasn't what I thought it was. You know, come to learn, I, you know, it was the same thing with sort of Sandinista. Um, 
it was uh, interesting. I use also like kind of the same comparison with with the Scream record, still screaming like side B was just it was just different than side A. And yeah, it was kind of the same thing with Sandinista. You know, the Clash are like my favorite band, uh, the most amazing, you know, punk rock band. And yeah, it was the same thing. I, I bought that record and I just was young. I just didn't get it, you know. Um, oh yeah, you weren't ready for that. I was not ready for that. Yeah, <laughs> well, and it, and I I think it's important too because I mean, obviously, a lot of the bands that you were playing with, you know, in the mid to late '80s, especially, you know, once the uh, rock world started to descend on the hardcore scene and bands started to transition, I so distinctly remember, you know, buying like Uniform Choices, staring at the sun, and being like, "This is not screaming for a change. What the hell yeah. is this?" <laughs> yeah. You know? As a child, I don't understand it. I'm like, you should put out every record that sounds like Screaming for a Change. There's no yeah. choice, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. Because you're, you know, you're a naive kid, and you know, and uh, you don't think things should change, and you know, and you like what you like. But then you, you know, again, when you mature, uh, just like with food or whatever, you just like to experience different sounds and um, you know, different flavors. And uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. Just recurring. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, I agree. And so, for you, was guitar? I mean, you mentioned as you were, you know, uh, being a spaz in class, you were just dr- <laughs> drumming drumming along and everything. Were you uh, attracted to drums first, or did a guitar kind of come into it? Like, what was your first love? Yeah, it's funny. I was, yeah, I was the drummer. It was funny, um, you know, growing up. Um, I wound up moving out to the Inland Empire. Um, probably in the fourth or fifth grade. And um, I met other kids that were sort of into skating and punk. And uh, so there was uh, a handful of us and we were like, hey, we we all like punk. Let's start a band. None of us knew how to play um, any instruments whatsoever. So it was kind of like, I'll play drums. I'll play bass. I'll play, you know, it was just everyone, you know, just said like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, so I had no idea. I've never played drums once in my life. I bought a drum kit and I was the drummer, you know, of our first, you know, band. Uh, sure. I think it was 13 years old. I think, yeah, I was about 13. And, and so, yeah, so, uh, and then, you know, we, we, the, you know, the bass player, you know, bought instruments and, you know, bought, bought a little amp and we all, anyways, we go to my parents' garage and we're, okay, we're starting our band and, you know, what, you suck, you know, like I, I, I was, te- I couldn't play drums. I was terrible. Sure. And, and so, and so we had a re, you know, we had a, we, we just really had to, you know, go to just start thinking this through. We're like, Oh wait, do we know anyone that doesn't know how to play drums? Cause I was like, I'm moving the bass, you know, <laughs> like, so uh, yeah, we, it turned out there was a kid in our neighborhood um, that we were friends with and he, you know, knew how to play drums a little better. Uh, and so, yeah, so he was a drummer and I went to bass and we just moved around instruments until we figured it out, you know? Yeah. I, I love that notion of, every, you know, I can close my eyes and picture you guys picking instruments and like, <laughs> it's just, it's like the most beautiful kid logic possible. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like it's, it was, yeah. Hilarious. Right. You know, my parents are like, what are you doing buying a drum set? You know, what's going on here? But they were pretty supportive. I was surprised. That's cool. And especially, too, where it's like, oh, you're going to be making that much noise, Ryan? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I, I bet they're happy it was short-lived. <laughs> totally, yeah. It's like, yeah, they probably listened after the first couple of times you were, you know, messed around on the drums and be like, oh, okay, we don't have to worry about this long term. <laughs> yeah. But we did um, – we we did practice at my parents' house for oh my gosh for years you know so my parents I don't know how they put up with our noise for all those years. Well, I, I'm sure too. Like that that was segues nicely into another question I was going to ask you with your parents starting to see this weird music you're taking home and all of these different um, elements that they probably had no notion of where you were coming from. Um, were they, I, I guess, concerned about the road you were going down? Were they like, what are these X's Ryan's putting on his hands? Like, what is all this stuff? Well, earlier on, you know, we were just, uh, you know, when we threw this thing together, um, we were just, you know, just a, 
you know, punk band. Our favorite bands were The Descendants and Social Distortion. Um, you know, those were those were our the bands that we knew of. There wasn't, you know, that we didn't know like really the micro underground. Um, it was the bands that we were able to go to the local record store, uh, which was like Music Plus, you know, and whatever records they had there. That's how we, you know, learned about punk. Really, it was like the Circle Jerks and all the kind of, you know, bigger punk bands. Um, so yeah, so we didn't, you know, really know anything about America's hardcore, like the, you know, the 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 more independent scene. We didn't know about it. So yeah, we started off and we were just, you know, trying to write songs kind of like social distortion. And, uh, that's really how we start. And yeah, my parents were not supportive <laughs> whatsoever. I mean, they, uh, once I, when I, they were supportive in regards to, they let us practice for some reason in our garage, which was awesome. But once they saw that there was a, kind of a fashion change, like all of a sudden, you know, we were, cutting, you know, each other's hair and, and dyeing it and, and, you know, kind of getting more into punk and wearing bracelets and, you know, buying boots and, you know, shopping in the army surplus store. That's when they became alarmed. They were not into that. <laughs> I, I like it how it's, I mean, it is true. It's like once the, the fashion starts to change and then that's when the alarm bells can go off where it's like, Oh, so they're serious about this. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so they were not, they were not stoked. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was a lot of fighting, you know, back then we're talking, you know, 82, you know, um, you know, uh, it was, you know, it was not in fashion, you know, to be a punk, you would get in fights and, you know, it was, it was not in fashion. It was the jocks versus the punks. And there was, I don't know, there was, there was drama and they, you know, they just, you know, they were trying to create this just easy lifestyle living in the suburbs, just, you know, and uh, then they saw there was tension, you know, because um, I was I looked different, you know, um, than the other kids or what they were used to seeing as normal, you know. Right, right. Well, and two, like that, you're talking about two different waves hitting at that time of you know, the mainstream media culture looking at punk as mm-hmm. this, you know, degeneration of society. If your kids get into this, then, you know, I mean, it, it is, it's almost as bad as metal where it's like, oh, you're either <laughs> trying to take apart the government or you're worshiping Satan. Those are the two ways that you go if you're getting into the style of music. Yeah, yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I remember there was like this, you know, I remember we, we went to a fear show uh, and yeah, I remember the news was there recording it and we were on the news. We were all excited. We were on the news, but yeah, it was all about these kids are anti-parent. We're like, what? You know, it's like, uh, yeah, the media was having a field day. It was, yeah, it was not a good time for pop. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. Band merch is the name of the game, and that is what I care about, and that is what you should care about, because realistically, that is the life's blood 
that makes our independent music scene go round. And rockabilia.com is the place where you should visit. They are one of the finest vendors on the interwebs for band merch. And all joking aside, I love this company so much because they have everything for everybody. I don't care whether you're into classic rock, punk, hardcore, whatever it is, they got something for you. Use this promo code, 100 words or less, that gets you 10% off. Again, 100 words or less, that's the number 100, gets you 10% off your entire order. They just released a rad, under oath, only limited to their web store shirt design that I helped them bring to life, and I was very excited about that. But that's just one out of 499,999 items they have. So much stuff. You'll have fun. Visit rockabilia.com. 100 words or less is the promo code. 10% off your new order. Your new order? Or how about just your old order? How about any old order? (laughs) Anyways, thank you, Rockabilia, for your continued support. Have fun shopping there. As you started to, you know, like go through high school and play some shows and put together some of those first bands, I mean, I know you obviously played in Justice League and then, you know, Chain of Strength. were did you have kind of like a quote-unquote life path for yourself you know was there any like oh i'm gonna follow my father's footsteps and work in sales or was there any notion of what your life would look like as far as a quote-unquote career is concerned uh yeah yeah a little bit unfortunately (laughs) unfortunately you know it was always in back of my mind it was terrible having that pressure of you know you have to have an you know a normal you know, upbringing, you have to look a certain way, you have to go to school, you have to get this job, you know, it's just, yeah, it was kind of a curse, you know, I I just, I love now that, I mean, things have changed so much. And, and yeah, it's, it was tough. It was always in the back of my head, you know, um, that this, you know, this, this awesome roller coaster is going to end, you know, And, and, and it, yeah, it really held me back. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure too that, because um, I, I think most parents, as they're going through watching their kid get into something that is, you know, not what many of their friends' kids are getting into, it's usually that it's fear based, where it's like, I'm just concerned that my child is going to go down a road and then, you know, become a degenerate and, you know, not have a job, and all this other stuff. And so I can understand where they're, that, yeah, that fear is coming from. Definitely. And it can easily happen. I, I remember my parents tried some tough love on me. Um, you know, I, it was, um, ju- you know, I told them, you know, you know, I'm going on tour, you know, with, with my band. It was Justice League. It was 1986. We just, finished high school and we were going to jump in a van, um, and go on tour. And, um, and you know, there, there were definitely bands that paved the way, but it was still pretty sketchy in, you know, in, in, uh, 86. And, um, so, you know, my parents were trying tough love, you know, if you're not going to go straight to college, then, um, we're cutting you off financially. And I was like, okay, well we, you know, we kind of have this figured out, you know, um, uh, you know, at least we thought we did, you know, like we're going to get paid this amount to get, you know, gas money to go to this place. And, and so I was like, okay, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on my own. Well, <laughs> it was just like, it was, you know, much tougher than I thought, and, uh, you know, the tough love, I guess worked a little bit, but it didn't stop me, you know? Oh, absolutely. Right. You're just like, well, okay. Uh, now, now I know that. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to call my parents to Western Union me yeah. <laughs> some money. Yeah. And so with Justice League, like you said, that was, you know, your first, uh, I'm going to use air quotes, like legitimate band in regards to, you know, yeah. putting out records and, you know, touring and stuff like that. Were you immediately taken in by the touring lifestyle? Was it, uh, you know, all that you had thought it was going to be? Or was it like, oh my gosh, this is drastically different than, you know, not like you expected to be touring on a bus or anything like that, but you know, tour is a whole different thing on the DIY level. Yeah. You know, I, I loved it. It was amazing. I met so many fantastic people, but it, it was funny the road there, like uh, learning about it, how to tour. Um, so I just remember like, you know, hanging out with, um, with Ron from Stalag 13. Um, they have, you know, they hit the road and they, didn't play too much around the U S or anything, but they at least I believe went, did like a West coast tour. And, and so, um, I remember he bought, um, drew from America's hardcore. He bought his van <clears throat> drew had 
moved to San Francisco to play in Crucifix. And so Ron bought his van. And so Ron was showing me like, hey, this is how you dial your van, you know, so you could you build a loft and then you sleep on the loft and then you put all your equipment under the loft. Like he was, you know, so I was like, oh, wow, this is how you do it. You know, so we had to there's a lot, you know, we didn't know, you know, there was, you know, it was just an unknown. So it was kind of like, uh, it was like Justice League, uh, No Effects. Um, there was like a handful of bands that hit the road in uh, 1986, and we were all clueless. Um, but it was an amazing, oh man, it was an amazing summer. Just meeting people that you've been corresponding with uh, through the mail. Of course, there wasn't email or cell phones or texting, you know, so it was just you know, and then they're the people I'm still friends with now. Um, amazing people, you know. Um, I can remember meeting Greg Anderson uh, in Seattle. Uh, he was in a band and, and you know, just meeting amazing people. We met um, Dave Stein. I don't know if he, he's, if you know him, but he's like, you know, one of the, you know, he became a lawyer and he's like, like one of the hardcore lawyers. He represents, a, you know, it, he's an amazing guy. And, and Brian Krishner also is, he became a sort of a hard, you know, kind of a punk rock lawyer. Yeah, uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, just amazing people I've met. Uh, just every city you hit, you would meet amazing people. And so I was all in, I, I was terrible at the driving part of it. Uh, but I would, you know, I, I just love the adventure. It was amazing. Like it, it was, it's just a, uh, awesome adventure. Oh yeah, for sure. That's really exciting. Cause yeah, I mean, you, you were not only experiencing all this stuff for the first time, but you were in this community and collection of bands that were experiencing most of this stuff for the first time as well. Yeah, it was great. And we got to play with some of the, like, you know, the bands that were, we so, you know, influenced by, and uh, we, we, you know, played with the descendants and Dagnasty. We played like a handful of shows with um, descendants and Dagnasty and they were like, you know, two of my favorite bands. So this was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, the touring that takes place now, you know, is so drastically different than back then, not only because of all the technological advances, but, you know, bands like you didn't, I mean, yes, you kind of toured to quote unquote, make a living, but there was no real roadmap with that. Um, so as you guys started to like go out there with justice league and then, you know, the limited touring that you did with chain of strength, was it something where it was just like, we just have to do this because obviously we want to play shows. And of course, want to get out to the East coast and stuff like that. Or was there like, Oh, maybe next time a, a few more people will show up. Yeah. I think it's, <clears throat> I, I don't know exactly what the drive was. I think it was really, uh, you know, uh, I think it was about having fun, you know, um, and meeting people. Um, and, you know, there was, a, of course, a little bit of delivering a message. You know, we wanted to, you want your songs to be heard. Um, so there's definitely that. Um, but yeah, it was just, uh, it was just really a vehicle to have a good time. That was really it. Just meet people um, and learn different cultures. And oh my God, I, I learned so much, you know, because here I am, I'm stuck in a, you know, a suburban, you know, city uh, where there's not a lot of culture and not a, not a lot of, you know, everyone looks the same, you know, and uh, it was amazing to, through punk rock, I met so many different people with different cultures. And, and that's how I learned about, you know, vegetarianism and politics. And, and I remember, you know, I was... God, I must have been 13 or 14. I was super young. And I, I remember, you know, we would have to go, you know, to get to the record stores that were, you know, or the shows were in, you know, bad parts of town and, and, and all that. And I just remember meeting people that were, had a cause, you know, like I remember going to this kind of rock against racism kind of thing, you know, at 13 and just, oh man, it was just, I didn't realize there was all this going on, you know? So it really opened my eyes um, and changed, you know, it really changed who I am. 
Yeah, that's it's really cool. I like how you articulated that because it does expand your world, not only in getting to go to these different cities and see how pe- different people live, but then also just that idea that the world is even bigger than yourself and your experiences based on those political causes. Yeah. And like you said, you know, veganism, veg- vegetarianism, you know, Hare Krishna, like all the things that start to impact, you're like, you know, what, wow, like this is crazy. Like I've never, I didn't even yeah. know that this existed. Exactly, exactly. And and I would bring it home and I would, you know, tell my, you know, my family and tell my friends and, and just try to change the way we lived. And, you know, it was just like, you take so much for granted, you know. And uh, so that that was awesome, just changing. And it, it's, you know, it's funny, my, you know, my parents to this day, you know, they say, they, wow, when you brought this, these ideals home, <laughs> you know, we never thought that this is the way you know, life was changing. And it, yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. Just, uh, just learning from other cultures. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. And I know much was made and still is made about the, you know, 80s scene, uh, especially in the early 80s scene. Um being so violent, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as, especially, you know, Los Angeles. And I know arguably, you know, Orange County as well. Oh, um, it, did, did you personally, I guess, kind of like feel that? Cause I know there is this whole, you know, idea that uh, not that things get viewed with rose colored glasses. Like, you know, people are blowing the violence out of proportion because clearly, you know, there's a, there's enough where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, but, you know, did you personally, I guess, like encounter that and see that uh, in the, you know, shows that you were going to and attending? Yeah, most definitely. Oh, man, some of the scenes were insane. Like San Diego had a very violent scene. It was just, yeah, it was crazy. There were a lot of fights and I dodged a bullet, you know, just we just were so lucky that I was in so many circumstances where I could have got, you know, hurt. Um, fortunately, didn't. Uh, I was in, it was a, uh, a riot. Uh, at the Palladium, um, I think it was, I want to say the Ramones and Black Flag, if I'm not mistaken. And um, yeah, like there was a riot and, you know, cops were beating the shit out of people with billy clubs and spraying, you know, it, it, I just remember I was with the ill repute guys and I remember we were just like running from the cops and, you know, they, thankfully they knew Hollywood how to get around. I didn't know shit about Hollywood and they took us to this, um, you know, top of this building and we were just like looking over and just watching all the violence, you know? So yeah, there was crazy shit. I remember going to, there was a, a, a venue called the Thunderbird or T-Bird. Um, and I remember a good friend of ours was, you know, in, you know, slamming in the, you know, pit and, and he, Somebody had like, you know, and I'm not saying this, this probably still happens, but, you know, had brass knuckles and, and just not, he punched him in the face and it is just, it lost all of his teeth, you know, and we had to like carry him to the hospital. You know, it was just, there was just a lot of just crazy punk was just, you know, it was, it was raging and you would get like a, just such a counterculture mix of people. And it was like, you know, and there were a lot of gangs. It was crazy. I remember you know, it turns out, you know, we were in a band called Justice League and there was a pretty violent gang called The League. And I remember I was at a club and um, and uh, it was an amazing show. And and I remember, um, you know, someone, you know, this big dude says, hey, you know, saw my shirt, Justice League. And he said, you know, there's only one league. And uh, I just remember, uh, thankfully, I had some, you know, 
a lot of friends out there. Um, but uh, this dude, um, Big Bob from Aggression, I mean, he he was kind of in that world, but he he I mean, he just really took me under his wing and took care of me. Like he grabbed me and he said, don't fuck with this guy, you know, and I was just super lucky, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, just, you know, I just figure it is kind of a karma thing. I try to, you know, try to be a good person. I haven't been perfect. Of course, I've made mistakes, but I, you know, and I just feel like a lot of these people have taken care of me in, in some, you know, desperate times. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, it's, yeah, it just, it is one of those things. I, I think that, you know, often, especially people that uh, speak about it and romanticize the violence where it's just like, like that wasn't cool. Like, <laughs> that was cool. No, like, no, one, no. no one wants to be, um, you know, beat up and going to a show like that. And so, yeah, I just, it, you know, it, it's a shame that some people take the wrong messages from the idea that, you know, Oh, this is what, you know, stage diving and mosh pits are. And it's just, yeah, it's, it, I, I wish that wasn't the case, but yeah. The, um, what I wanted to hit on was I, I know you've watched <clears throat> straight edge in regards to, uh, you know, just the different evolutions and morphing as the, each subsequent generation has gotten into it. And I mean, generations in a, you know, non, uh, human perspective, but like, you know, every three or four years, it obviously changes. Um, how do you feel about it kind of now in regards to looking at all of the different iterations of it since, you know, you started to uh, claim that when you were in Chain of Strength? You mean just like the different genres of hardcore? and Yeah, and just gone? kind of the, the movement, like, you know, obviously when it got violent in the, uh, you know, mid to late 90s and just kind of, you know, the evolution of it as a whole. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I love the innocence of it. Um, you know, back in the eighties, um, I loved it and it's, you know, I must say it, there's still like, you know, the under underground that I'm not even aware of. I try to stay in touch, but it's, um, you know, it just seems a little corporate to me. Um, you know, um, part of the fun, uh, for myself and a lot of my friends growing up in that time was searching for the music, like, finding it and searching for it now you don't really need to it's really a few clicks away you know um you can go on uh you know Bandcamp and just listen to a million different you know things it's just different i mean there was just it was such a small scene um you know we you would go to a show and you know you'd meet people just like yourself all over the country it's just changed a lot i i i guess my only kind of sort of analogy would be like, I just feel like it's, it's more corporate, you know, um, it feel like hardcore is turned into like, you know, sort of Amazon or, or Walmart, you know, in a way. Uh, but again, I, I try to dig deep. I, I love discovering, uh, young new bands. That's super exciting for me. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because they're, you know, no matter how much it's quote unquote changed, there are still, you know, pieces of evidence and threads of like, oh yeah, like that's cool. Like I, I still see that this is still this is an important part to straight edge to what they're doing now in you know twenty twenty one or the future or whatever. Well, you're just yeah, you're fed so much now on the internet, you know, and it's all about like you know, do you have the best PR person who's going to get you know your name out there and and um, yeah, I just I I'm always. Uh, I, I love the under underground, <laughs> um, you know, I just love the bands that they don't have that, you know, they don't, they don't have the money or they don't know the right people. Um, and, uh, you know, they don't, it's not constantly just it, it fed to you or in your face, you know, I'm always striving to find those bands. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, I, I'd be, uh, mad at myself if I did not punish you about circle storm, because uh, <laughs> I, I honestly think that I, cause you guys started to play like right around, I mean, I'm 41 years old and I started to go to shows when I was 15 or 16. And, uh, you guys definitely, I mean, you honestly played like what, seven shows, eight shows maybe, or am I wrong in that? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think it's more like three possibly, but okay. it was, uh, <laughs> 
it was, you know, it was just kind of a fun project. Why that sort of came about is um, there was a uh, a member in that band, a good friend of ours, Doug Bellows, and um, he he kind of missed out being in a chain of strength. He was, you know, he was trying out, and you know, you can only have one bass player. Um, so he kind of missed out. And then, you know, years later, we're still friends. He's just like, guy, I still feel like I missed, you know, I, I just, I want to write songs and be in a band with you guys, you know? So, you know, we just, we kind of did it as a, as sort of a fun thing, but our heads weren't really there. And yeah, we didn't put the effort that was necessary towards that. So it was just kind of like a fun thing we did. Right, a fun project, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it it felt like that in a non, um, uh, in a way. I, I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but it definitely felt like. I, I mean, I think the first time I saw you guys was like the <laughs> the Westminster Manor with Ignite. Okay, um, okay, yeah, I think that I, was one of the three shows. <laughs> totally, and I just I just remember being so stoked because I I, I had never saw Chain of Strength in its original original iteration because I was too young. Yeah, uh, but then to watch that I was just like, wait a minute, like this is so cool that I get to watch these guys who I really <laughs> like play the songs that I still like, and then all of a sudden pull out a Chain of Strength cover, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so exciting! But that's so cool that you were because I didn't know that you're kind of circling back just to, you know, kind of have fun with your friend. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, and kind of along that same tip, because I know that, I mean, you were the uh, proprietor of uh, ambassador records, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? <laughs> uh, I think so. <laughs> yes. Yes. You, so I, you know, I know that, uh, kind of the business side of things always, you know, maybe intrigued you just from like an outsider's perspective where, you know, putting out records and, you know, maybe booking shows and being the, you know, one of the more outgoing people in the bands that you played in. Um, and then clearly now with Quiet Panic and uh, the management side of things, had you always been drawn to the business aspect of it? Or was that just a function of like, oh, well, Ryan will do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know what? Um, I, you know, I enjoy that. I, I just, I never, you know, learned properly how to run a business. And it initially started with, uh, you know, we all, you know, our group of friends just always, we, if we couldn't make things happen, we would just do it ourselves. That was just what we learned, you know, growing up. That's how the guys from Youth Brigade did it. You know, that's how, you know, you just, you, we just followed. What did the Stern brothers do? This, they put on their own shows, you know, they, uh, they had their own record label. They had their band, you know, so we just, that's where, you know, that's where we learned it. So we were like, if no one's going to do it for us, we're going to do it ourselves. So we put on shows. I mean, Channel Strength's first show, uh, we put it on ourselves, you know, sure. uh, we put on the shows, um, you know, and then again, when there was kind of a lull in, you know, sort of like shows, um, nobody was, you know, calling us up. We were like, Hey, it turns out, you know, I, I remember I sort of, you know, kind of discovered Spankies. I don't know if you're familiar, which kind of turned into the Corona showcase, Yep. but, uh, this, this random band was playing in Riverside at this place called Spankies. And, uh, I was like, wow, like this is a possible new, you know, place for shows to happen. So, I called the owner, this guy, Ezod, and, and, uh, I said, Hey, uh, you know, uh, can, can I put on shows here? Do you have a promoter? Like, you know, do you have a booker? Like, what's up? And he's like, no, this is, you know, this is a restaurant, you know, uh, we're just, we're dying. We need people to come to the restaurant. And I said, well, Hey, this might be another revenue stream. Let's, you know, let's try this out. And yeah, it turned out that it worked pretty well for him where, you know, beyond me, there was shows there for years. And then he moved on. He went for a bigger spot, you know, so that's how, you know, we grew up in that. It's like do it yourself. So with the record label, that was it. Uh, my first record label was Foundation Records. And we were kind of just like, hey, let's do it ourselves," you know. Um, and it it was, you know, I, in regards to like, did, were, did we have proper funding? Did we, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. You know, we just thought like, Hey, if there's a way to sort of make a, you know, business out of this, so we don't have to work our shitty jobs at, you know, wherever <laughs> Taco Bell or wherever they were, you know, we were like, let's try to figure this out. Discord did it, you know, just, you know, let's try to figure this out. 
Um, so yeah, it was just not properly ran because, you know, I was young and I was, I, you know, I was busy, you know, trying to be in a band and trying to do this and trying to be social and, you know, just, you know, what it takes to run a label. It's not easy, but, uh, so yeah, I would, I, I, and I, you know, I, I feel it was, it was important, you know, try things and fail. I think it's a good thing. You know, I've learned a lot. And so I've tried and failed a number of times. Hopefully we got it right this time. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially too, because it's not like you, I mean, you're doing this because you want to serve a function, obviously for your band, but then at the same time of trying to figure out what a business means, you know, with your friends and mixing it with art, like there's so many things that could go wrong. So I can, underst- <laughs> I can understand the idea of just like, well, uh, like we can't do this anymore. Like we just lost, you know, or I just lost $2,000 in putting this thing out because, you know, we had to ship it to Europe and I didn't even consider that or whatever. And so, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, uh, man. Oh, uh, we, ha- you know, I think we had, you know, just with Foundation Records, when we launched that, we had, you know, it, I think it was, it, it could have been something really great. It was unfortunate. It was just like one mistake just can crash the whole thing. And that's what exactly what happened when there was, you know, a partner or somebody in New Jersey that, you know, was going to be the distro. And then it turns out, you know, we send all the records there and then they don't pay us. You know what I mean? And then it's just like, we didn't have the funds or planning um, to, you know, we didn't plan to lose. you know, (laughs) And so, uh, so yeah, so it ended, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I know that like y- you have still been, you know, active within the, you know, hardcore scene in regards to, you know, like going to shows and participating and always uh, have had an active interest. And, you know, that bleeds definitely into what you're doing with, you know, Quiet Panic and uh, obviously the management side of things. Uh, but I'm going to guess, you know, over those many years, you've also been, you know, just doing the the, the quote unquote real job. And obviously you have a family and all these other things because, you know, I mean, hardcore can only pay so many bills, uh, yeah. <laughs> usually zero bills. But um, uh, so like w- what's kept you busy um, and I guess attached to uh, the music scene in general? Because, you know, I mean, you don't have to still care about this, but you do. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, uh, I have a day job and, uh, you know, I love it and it pays the bills and it gives me the opportunity to have, you know, these other ventures, you know, call them hobbies, whatever you want to call them. I put my heart, you know, and soul into them. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's awesome. And I just love, I love just watching, you know, bands grow, you know, I just love it. I've just, you know, that's, it's such an exciting thing. You know, I watched again, you know, like I had mentioned, you know, I grew up with, you know, the no effects guys. It was just like amazing, you know, watching them grow. Um, it's just, uh, it's just, you know, so anyways, that's why I still love it. I still love music. I want to be involved. So this is, you know, my way of contributing and being involved and working with bands. And I love it. It's way, like I mentioned, it's, it's way more corporate now. You have to have it, you know, an agent and a manager. And I, I hate that aspect of it, but you know, I'm sort of, I, I, it's nice in some ways because it does carve out a living for some people. I love talking to these agents and they, they work with these bands and they make a living off of it. Or, you know, there are, you know, various managers, you know, um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I know it's an important piece to the puzzle, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it's kind of, it strays away from the original way things were. I mean, you just watch Bad Religion, for instance, you know what I mean? You watch, um, you know, the, you know, when they started in, you know, the eighties, early eighties, um, I saw them, there were one of my first shows was in 82, um, and it was, uh, you know, Bad Religion, the record, you know, pretty was out for a couple of months. How, how could hell be any worse? And I mean, you watch them then and you watch them now, you know what I mean? It's just now it's, it's, uh, they, you know, have, you know, probably, you know, a bus driver and roadies and, you know, and, and an agent and a manager and it's just different, you know? 
It's just oh yeah, loop. absolutely. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a th- once people understood that there was a commodification that yeah. could happen with this, like you know, that happens because capitalism. But <laughs> there, to yeah. your point earlier, of just like there's always going to be that bubbling undercurrent, and that you know, that's what I see personally, just identifying in what you're doing with uh, Quiet Panic and obviously the management stuff too, where you're aligning yourself with you know bands or artists that should be highlighted. And you're just like, well, not only am I helping them with my time, but I want to invest some of my own capital in them as well in order to get the music heard by a wider variety of people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, our goal is if we break even, it's a good day, you know, and, uh, and it's more than that too. It's all about, you know, I grew up, it was kind of a boys club, you know, every band, there was, there weren't too many females involved in the scene. And, um, so yeah, I mean, the two bands I'm working with, you know, Slow Crush and Filth is Eternal are female fronted bands. And that's really important for, I think, what we're doing. You know, we're, we're trying to, you know, uh, push that and just try to find different, you know, again, you know, you got bills to pay. So they have to be, you know, to a, you know, a decent, you know, size. They have to hit some levels. But, um, but yeah, I just, I, I just love what, what they're doing. And, um, there's a lot of bands where, we're trying to help out and putting our time and energy and uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome. The last thing I want to hit on was the fact that, you know, once uh, focusing on chain of strength in regards to, you know, once you guys came back and started to, you know, play some shows and reunions and that whole stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Was it, uh, you know, I'm sure that there were many points in which you're just like, this is silly. Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way, just in like, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe this many people are paying attention to us. Like, I can't believe this show was that cool. Um, when did it, I I guess, become, uh, for lack of a better term, real to you that, that you, you know, chain of strength had this sort of impact where you were able to kind of see it reflected back on you, whether it was a show or whether it was just kind of the general feedback that you're receiving from once you guys decided to, you know, start to play shows again. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was a battle. There were, we had so many opportunities just through the years and we were just kind of waiting for the right time. And I don't even, you know, know if that was the right or wrong time, but um, you know, just trying to get, you know, the, uh, what was important to us is have the original members of the band. Um, there was like no way we were going to do it without the original members. And so that was kind of, you know, someone, you know, we all are kind of in it for different reasons as well. Um, again, it was all, all, always for me, it was just a vehicle to have fun and meet people and, and travel. Um, and then, you know, as you get older, you have different wants and needs and, and some of the other guys in the band, they won't, you know, they had, you know, they have the re- their reasons why they want to do this. Um, so yeah, we had a hard time coming coming together. Um, but once we did, you know, I don't were we satisfied? Probably not. It, it's you can't go back. You know, it's it's there was there was times. At, there's a club in Connecticut called the Anthrax, and there's nothing as good as a show at the Anthrax, like. It's just you hit an E chord and the crowd goes berserk, you know, and you can, there's like this, it's like crack. You, you feel that energy and that excitement and you just, you just want it over and over and nothing lives up to it, you know? And uh, I don't know. I have a hard time too. Uh, You know, it's just, I, I, every time I play, I'm just, was I good? Was that really good? You know, like it's never good. It's never good enough to me. I'm never, yeah, I'm never satisfied. Um, I always think I always have that, like, you know, think, Oh, we should have did this. And I had, you know, and I don't know. Yeah. Well, I honestly, that is a very, uh, refreshingly honest take to the idea, especially because, I mean, it, it clearly it's w- what prevents like certain bands. I mean, everyone is always going to echo the idea. It's like, Oh, it's why, you know, Ian McKay will never do a minor threat reunion or whatever. It's like, you know, he's like, yeah, it was a time and a place and like doing it again, it just won't feel the same. And to kind of go through it, not saying, you you were saying that your whole collective experience of coming back was not worthwhile but it's just like that idea that oh this is like we can't compare it to the past because this is frankly a whole different experience and yeah. like you said being critical of yourself saying it's like yeah like was it that good as the <laughs> yeah. before or whatever yeah, <laughs> yeah i see what you're saying 
yeah, I'm just super critical. And um, yeah, I just, um, that's just a problem. I have. <laughs> You're like, that's, that's me. That's not everybody that's, else. Yeah. That's just me. That's just me. But, um, but yeah, I just, uh, you want that feeling. I think it's just, you know, it's just that, that experience you had, you know, in in 1989 at the anthrax wow if i can have that every night it's just like it's the best medication you could ever take you know because it is it was amazing yeah absolutely absolutely well uh ryan thank you so much for hanging out i really appreciate you letting me uh ping pong around your brain and all these uh random subjects (laughs) (laughs) no this was super fun thank you so much Yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much, Ryan, for coming on the podcast, making some time out of your day, because we're all busy. We got, you know, jobs and kids and other obligations, and Ryan was gracious enough to hang out and spend time with me. So I do appreciate that immensely. Next week, I have Jason Black from Hot Water Music, and Hot Water Music just released a new record on Equal Vision that is extremely good. And that is why Jason is on the podcast, but, uh, you know, as usual... We don't talk about the new record because I care about where this person has come from. I'll, of course, talk about the record in the uh, you know intro and outro and tell people to listen to it and doing it here as well. Jason Black, the bassist of Hot Water Music, is on next week, and I'm very excited about it. So until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus this is malcolm gladwell from revisionist history eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.